You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday. We're happy to have you back with us on the podcast. We are getting back into shooting madness starting this week. We have big shoots this week. We had a shoot last week. Big shoots this week. We're, we're headed out to do our north trip soon. We have our Utah meetup coming up. September is going to be nuts. I feel overwhelmed already, but it's in a good way. <laughs> it's all good stuff, though. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's fun stuff coming. Guys, welcome back to the podcast. We've got a great topic Tuesday from Landon O, who writes to us with a question that's been burning. He can't answer it, wow, so he okay. writes to us. We've also got Jordan S. in Los Angeles, who wants to avoid the dual manufacturer driveway inevitability. <laughs> Don't make me buy all another of the same car. Agent Smith in The Matrix. <laughs> Being assimilated. <laughs> it's an inevitable. Yes. <laughs> the there we inevitability. Go. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, let's just dive right into this topic Tuesday because Landon has been a listener of the podcast and a viewer of our YouTube channels for about five years. Landon, we appreciate you writing to us. Yeah, we do. He has most definitely grown and matured as a car enthusiast, he writes. That suggests that we're mature. That's a, that's a, that, I don't, that's, see, that's You're where right. this goes completely off the rails. Anyway. Well, when Landon was a teen... He and his brother went with his dad to the Iola Classic Car Show, okay. which is a massive classic car show and swap meet in Wisconsin, and they were hooked. Since that day, Landon and his brother have learned the ins and outs of classic muscle, JDM and KDM, and Euro and exotic cars. Very cool. Today, he is a recently graduated environmental engineer working as an air quality engineer at a consulting firm in Madison, Wisconsin. He says in moving from a smaller town in Wisconsin to a much larger one, he is now exposed to seeing the wider breadth of enthusiast cars on a daily basis. <laughs> He's gone from, well, I've never seen one of those to, oh, there's another one of those. <laughs> That's cool. Everything from S2000s and Miatas to 911s, 4GTs. He says it's a dream come true, especially spending more time around enthusiast cars. But he started to make a few observations, some of which are puzzling to him. <laughs> so what, the, the big thing that I think is interesting is we're talking about, from a car perspective, the shift from small town to big city. Because small yeah. town, you never see most of the cars we talk about ever. You've Unless only ever Gumball seen comes through. And totally. Well, when blows we do up the town, you know, when we do our Utah meetup, we are a rolling car show. Yeah, true. we go through some tiny towns in Utah, and people literally like push their kids out the front door and go, "Look, honey!" I mean, it, that's the thing. So he's now seeing these cars just driven because he's in that's a larger true. city, and that is changing his perspective on them, which is fascinating. That's good. Well, a couple of months ago, Landon was driving on a country road at night. And came to a stop. He saw a sixth-generation Mustang at a stoplight, and anyone who knows him well knows his feelings towards Mustangs. Anything after 1973, with the exception of the GT350 and 500 and Mach 1, is, yeah, whatever. Just doesn't light his fire. <laughs> but he's talking about the current generation mm -hmm. Mustang. He saw one at a light late at night in the middle of nowhere. Base model, no badging. He pulled up next to it and caught himself audibly saying, oh, wow, that looks nice. <laughs> because it's grabbed his attention. He was surprised that it did. And looking back, he says there was nothing discernibly different about it. And seeing other identical model Mustangs since then, he still left feeling blah about them. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. He's noticed this happening with other cars, but vice versa. He's a fan of newer Porsche Boxsters and how they look and... And he's seen a few recently that have made him 
have that same blah feeling again. A car that if you would have seen one ever in his small town where he grew up, be like, oh my gosh, it's a Boxster. You remember last week when we saw a Boxster? <laughs> right. And now he's like, ah, it's another Boxster. <laughs> right. Well, in these instances, he writes, he's still excited at the sight of a Porsche. But something visually isn't grabbing his attention as it usually would. And it's perplexing to him. Throughout his time as a car enthusiast, he's approached cars more or less with the mindset of an engineering kind of person, which he is technically and systematically. He says he acknowledges and appreciates cars that look good. And he has his own tastes in different car designs. Of course, everybody does. And he knows for the most part, he's looked at them from a function over form kind of viewpoint. Mm. But in making these observations, he feels like he's moving into a new phase of car enthusiasm for himself. One where he's starting to look at form just as much Mm. as function. Mm. As exciting as this is, music to my ears as yeah, a designer, sure. he's left with a lot of questions he can't seem to answer on his own, which is why he's writing, and he'd like to hear our thoughts and discussions on the following questions. The main question is this. From a visual perspective, what makes a car stand out when compared to other cars of the same make and model? Hmm. And why did that Mustang turn his head the way it did, even though he can't quite put his finger on it? Or even the reverse question. Why now that he's seeing boxers that they kind of like, eh, it's a boxster. <laughs> <laughs> When you go to either Amelia or Pebble Beach or mm-hmm. you know, any of the high-end car shows or car auctions, talk about desensitization. Yes. You'll oh, think my gosh. You have seen all the cars mm-hmm. for the rest of time. You will never need to see another car again. It happened to me when I went to Monaco in 2014. Went for the <laughs> F1 race. You've yeah. been to Monaco. You and yeah, your yeah. wife. It's craziness. I went for the F1 race. Of course, everybody has to parade. And these mm-hmm. are cars mm-hmm. that North America doesn't get. These are all the hot European models. Sure. Yeah. Parading through. And I... I mean, it was talk about overload. And then when I left, I thought, I've seen all the cars on the planet. I think I've seen all the exotics forever. For I'm officially time. full. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, I saw some random Porsche drive by. I was like, hey, a Por- what am I saying? <laughs> Why did that turn my head? I've just seen two Koenigseggs mm-hmm. and two Paganis, one after the other, parked in a row. There are four cars mm-hmm. Koenigsegg, Pagani, Koenigsegg, Pagani, different models of each. And it was just like, my brain exploded. Like, <laughs> well, you remember those are all different owners. <laughs> Wouldn't it be more <laughs> terrifying if it were the same owner? Anyway, <laughs> but you remember when the Porsche GT2 RS mm-hmm. was the business? It was I all mean, it still kind of is. It's still amazing, yes. But of course, now all we're talking about is the GT3 RS. But when the GT2 RS was out, uh-huh. and you and I were chasing one to drive, actually, right around the time that we got to drive one, which was still awesome. Yeah. Put it against the 959. It was a really good film. Right around that time. Here in Park City, and Park City is not, there's two things to think about. Park City is not a large town, but Park City is a town with a lot of money. Mm -hmm. At the local Cars and Coffee in Park City, Utah, (laughs) the GT2 RS was a halo car that nobody had, and our local Cars and Coffee had four. Four (laughs) of them. At the same Sunday morning event. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and nothing nothing makes a GT2 RS, which at the time was the car no one could get, less interesting than seeing four of them. And, and it's crazy to say. It's, like it's just like, well, there's one. Oh, yeah, but there's another one. You know what? I like that one. And then, then what happens? You know, that's back, not a color I'd choose. Back nah. to Landon's conversation. It starts, then you start to go, why do I like it? And what do I prefer? And that, you know, I like that color. That's, that's my favorite one of the four 
Well, you GT2's said, parked there. You just saw two Ferrari SF90s. Yes, uh, just a I couple did. weeks ago. It, it, it's madness. And what's nice is you do see all kinds of stuff at our local cars and coffee. You see stuff that is just beat down but well loved, and then you see the latest sure. and greatest whatever with dealer tags on it. I do love that about our cars and coffee. It's not just one make, but the 911s are uh, there's many. <laughs> They're pretty common. There's a lot. Well, the SF90s are common around here now, that too. That is nuts. There's an 812. There's two or three of those floating around. And that's just Park City, not even Salt Lake. You're right. Yep. And the SF90s, I'm not sure if you realize, they're $900,000. By the time you get your hands on one, Each. yeah. yeah. That's, if you want an SF90, that you can find one. Nine, they're almost a million bucks. Isn't the list price like three quarters of a million, and that's before you add a, like a Ferrari badge yeah. to it or something? It's just you, madness. You yeah. can find one you know, used somewhere right <laughs> now. With slightly 20 used. miles on it. Exactly. And it's all shriveled up at this point. Yeah. Wow. Well, Landon's second question are, well, he's got supporting questions, yes. we'll say. Mm-hmm. He'd like our opinion on these, opinion on these questions. Could the cars that stand out be the result of subtle modifications, better cleaning, always, different <laughs> manufacturer specs, of course, paint color, or the moonlight hitting the car just right? And can little changes such as these really make that much of a significant difference in appearance? Mm. And lastly, what is our favorite setting that we feel complements different enthusiast cars and visual aesthetics the best? He's talking about golden hour. He says at night in the city, Canyons in the daytime, Mm -hmm. golden hour. That's why photographers and videographers all over the world chase golden hour. That's why, shoot, uh, Tom Cruise in the most recent Mission Impossible falling out of the back of the Cargo jet. Yes. They, they shot at golden hour for like a hundred days in a row. Only yeah. at golden hour. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a long, that's like three months. Yeah. I'm going to move there and we're going to just skydive oh. every day over this two hours of the day. And then we're going to call it. When I read that, I could not mm-hmm. believe it. Three months of the exact same shot at the same time to, <laughs> for, for one. I mean, it, and it was good. It, it was, was very good. Good. What well, did you, sorry, I'm going to go off onto a, a movie fine, rant for a fine. second. Do you remember? Okay. Here's, here's what's happening. If you watch, this is the, the last mission possible. There's new ones coming, but this is the last one. And they do this skydive. that's supposed to be just so you know, over Paris. It's not over Paris. It's over Dubai. Oh, was it? I so think you told me that. That's put, right. That's they right. put the clouds in. They put Paris in through the clouds. on But they did, as you, to your point, they could come out of the plane part perfectly at golden hour. And then by the time they land in Paris, it's night. It's, a very, it's really very cool. So it's golden hour. It's a perfect thing. But there's a camera guy in the back of the cargo plane, and they drop the ramp. So think about the fact that right. there's actually physically a camera person there, right? Because right? yeah. they have to walk around Tom Cruise. And then they had a guy that also was going to skydive with him that's wearing a camera on his head that will shoot the skydiving, all right? And then they've got Tom Cruise, and they've got uh, Henry Cavill that's playing the, the, the brute, right? These right. are the people in the scene. Right. But you can't see anybody else in the cargo plane. It's just supposed to be them. So that means all the rest of the crew has to hide. One of the people hiding is the guy that is the focus puller. If you don't know what a focus puller is, that's a guy that his entire job, and these guys are very good. All they do, if you transition from the foreground to the background, they change the focus of the lens, so where was he? So he was hiding somewhere with a monitor, as the director and everybody else was. But here's the thing that's going on. The guy with the camera on his helmet to be the skydiver, okay? A focus puller is controlling the focus while he walks around the cabin. But when he jumps out of the cabin, they need to have a locked focus because he's now skydiving, right? <laughs> they had a few days right. that were screwed up where the footage didn't work and was out of focus and they couldn't figure out why. And they finally figured out that the focus puller 
had to turn off his machine before the guy jumped out of the back. Otherwise, the focus-pulling remote machine was trying to talk to the plummeting guy plummeting through the sky. And still trying to autofocus on things? So it was trying to, it was trying to listen to information from a remote follow-focus still in the aircraft, and it was screwing up the diving shot. What? So the focus puller had to kill his connection when the guy jumped out of the plane. As soon as it was in focus. Yeah. That he, he had wanted. To, he had to kill it as the guy jumped. What? They could pull focus in the cabin, but when they jumped out of the plane, sever the connection. Because they had multiple days where they kept getting the dailies back. And I'm like, why are this out of focus? So this is the 100 days we're talking about. dramatic because it wasn't like the aircraft was out of focus as the no, camera but, guy fell backwards no. out of the airplane. And then Tom Cruise's face came perfectly into focus as he essentially arrived at the camera midair. There's all kinds of stuff going on. So that's the thing, Holy is that they were crap. having the guy in the plane that was remote. And I'm getting, I'm sure, pieces of this incorrect. But the guy, there was a guy in the plane that never left the plane. That's a focus puller. But his machine probably like, I'm not jumping. Was, was screwing up the guy that was carrying the camera at all the time. So they had multiple days that were ruined by bad focus. Crap. And when you're only shooting at, at, at uh, magic hour, you get a jump. You get one, exactly. So we'll come back tomorrow, guys. We'll try to figure out what's up with the focus. Anyway, we're way off track, but it's fun. Landon, we're off in the weeds. But that is good news because I get to talk about art history today. Mm. You might think it's boring, but it is not because what you're noticing is proportion and symmetry. That Those are the mm. two things that every artist and designer and craftsperson, everybody's creating something that is visually important are always worried about proportion and symmetry. Mm, mm. When you want to quit, you'll just say, hey, you know, symmetry is overrated. I'll just go with asymmetry and call it a day. Well, that means you didn't do everything. You <laughs> still need to work. But what I want to talk about is how car designers specifically approach what you're asking. And yes, you're, all of these are correct because as human beings, we're also very quick to notice details. Mm. I read somewhere that the human eye can see a lit match from miles. I forget the, the mileage, but if you're off in the mountains and you see it on a distant mountain, you can see somebody strike a match. Mm. You can see that little tiny flare up of a flame. Mm. The human eye can catch that detail. And, you know, of course at, at pitch black, you know, you, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. the most immediately noticeable thing, but that's a very minute detail for such a long distance. And so we're always looking at cars, especially car enthusiasts. We're always looking at, what the spec is and what trim package. And we're always evaluating mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how the car sits, the proportions, but it has to start with the car itself before you even introduce paint color. And before you introduce light under the car, mm -hmm. this is why the design process is so important. It involves both of those things. That's why we call it body and white. You want to have the design locked first mm -hmm. that everybody can agree on looks good before you slap paint on it. Paint will change your perception of something. Sure. What a great looking design, but uh, I hate green. You painted it green? <laughs> yeah. I, I can't even see how cool your painting or your design mm, is mm. because it's green. The green is blocking my eyes. I can't see what, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So if you produce a rendering or a graphic or anything and it's just the wrong color, it just, I can't get past that. But let's back way up to stagecoaches. Whoa, that is way up. It's a box on wheels. It is, yes. We have to enclose mm -hmm. the humans with protective materials. Mm -hmm. Protect the humans with something. <laughs> and it was wood. This was the time in the world when you did not want to ride shotgun. <laughs> shotgun true. was the worst that seat. That was the, the, the old shotgun. west. Do not want to ride shotgun. Nobody's calling shotgun. Never mind. Shotgun was the thing you were assigned. Can I be down below? Yeah. But those boxes with wheels protecting the humans, why can't they look good? 
We're so visually driven in everything we do from the beginning of time. We're so visually, things need to look good and we're attracted to beauty. That means for all cars, why do they drive differently? Why do they look differently? We're using the same materials. We're using the same stuff here. So let's study art briefly. Wow. Okay. I'm not going to turn this into an art history class. I'm intrigued, but keep going. But I want to mention Renaissance artists, specifically Italian Renaissance artists like Raphael, Mm -hmm. and also Leonardo da Vinci, the Mona Lisa being the definitive high Renaissance portrait, symbolizing really an ideal. Yes, it's a human person. Sure, yeah. But it symbolizes so many more things. It's been analyzed ad nauseum over the years and will continue (laughs) to be because of proportion and symmetry and pose all of those lighting, everything that goes into a portrait. So that's what I want you to look at in Renaissance artists. Let's move a little bit further forward in time to old masters artwork, Mm. proportion and symmetry all the time. Look at the uh, 18th century paintings. That's considered the old masters uh, timeframe. It's currently actually, there's an exhibit uh, as of this recording at the Met on fifth Avenue in Manhattan. Mm. You can see a lot of old masters. If you're in New York, definitely go see them because you're looking for Charles Lebrun. Uh, French painter and Peter Paul Rubens, those kind of masters look at how they compose their portraits. Mm. Why are we so attracted to them? Why is that painting worth so much? I'm getting to cars, (laughs) (laughs) but I want to mention another painter named John William Godward who passed in 1922. He was a neoclassicist. His style of artwork was coming to an end and Picasso's art was building and growing and popularity. And he committed suicide, unfortunately, and said, there's apparently not room on this planet for me and Picasso. Hmm. And his paintings are brilliant. He's actually one of my favorite painters of all time. Interesting. Okay. He's got paintings uh, at the uh, Getty in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the originals is called mischief and repose. And to actually see the same brushes and same paint craft marble and flesh and, Animal mm. hair and velvet curtains and everything wow. in the same painting from the same brushes and the same paint. As a designer and having taken sure. many art classes yeah, yeah. and producing art myself, I'm blown away. I'm mm. amazed mm. at what can be done. And so finally, Bern Hogarth, who passed away in 1996, he was the original artist. Well, I can't say original. He's one of the first artists for Tarzan, illustrating mm. uh, the graphic novels and the comic strip for Tarzan in, uh, in the early part of the 1900s. And he's got a couple of books out called Dynamic Figure Drawing and Drawing the Human Head. Mm, mm. His artwork has been exhibited at the Musée des Arts Décoratifs at the Louvre. So when car designers refer to sinew and mass Mm, in reference mm -hmm. to car design in terms of a surface, you know they're looking always at the human body. And that's what we as humans relate to the most. Mm. Ourselves. Sure. It's the oldest form of expression. Just pose and you notice those proportions and shape and that's what we're attracted to. So now as applied to car design, Mm. that is always going to be a good reference. And that's why car designers always use artwork of the human form to, Mm -hmm. to hopefully bring out something that now you're attracted to because that looks muscular. We say a car looks muscular. Look at the fenders. Sure. Yeah. Look at the beautiful sensual shapes of the E, uh, E type. Yeah, and the yeah, yeah. 60 Ferraris mm-hmm. and all the beautiful cycle mm-hmm. fenders and that kind of thing. And so I think you're starting to notice how important that form is, Landon, in what you're looking for. And if it were just an engineered box on wheels, engineers everywhere would thank you. And it would do exactly what it's supposed to. It would to. be perfectly yeah. safe and yeah. it would drive almost close to the same way. 
but it's a it's like putting wine drinking wine out of a wine glass versus a red solo cup your brain will tell you they taste differently although they it the wine tastes the same it's the same it's thing. the same yeah, liquid funny. it's very funny but your brain will say well this this is so much better out of this beautiful glass <laughs> it tastes differently i'm having such a different experience sure sure all using the same materials for cars but i'm thrilled that you're noticing that and form always follows function that's what you're taught in design school mm-hmm. it it still has to do a thing because as a designer sure, sure. like i've said you have to design the a thing that can be sold for profit. Otherwise, you're an artist. Mm-hmm. If you're just designing a beautiful shape, that's well, got a terrible engine in it. And it doesn't drive well, but look at that shape. The DeLorean. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. I did just, well, I it's not the most beautiful shape ever. But, yeah. You know what I mean? What if the E-Type were powered by some terrible engine and sure, sure. had awful electronics? Imagine if it had weird. If weird. The were bad. No, I can't imagine that. That's weird. The cars have to drive well. And when a car that you love and you know it drives well and has good power and makes a certain sound and then look at how that looks. And then suddenly you saw the money shot Mm -hmm. and that's what photographers are going for when they're selling a product. Doesn't matter. Cars, furniture, eyeglasses, who cares? They're looking for that, that one angle that just says, Ooh, that's the most aesthetically pleasing. And that sells. Mm. That's what we're attracted to. That's why we put art on our walls and choose the clothes we have and buy the shoes we do. And the couch in our house and the decor and the paint color. And we're so aesthetically driven. We like, those are the things we like that are appealing to our eye and you found it and you're identifying that. Mm. And it's fantastic to hear about. It's very good. And this is why designers and engineers fight. (laughs) And we'll always fight. Landon, I have some other thoughts for you here. I can't go into the art stuff as Paul can, and that's awesome. But I I have some other stuff I want to share with you first off. That is, the reason the Boxsters are starting to become, a few of them are becoming eh, is because you're starting to see more of them. It is that frequency thing. It's like I'm joking about the GT2 RS when there's four of them there. It's less exciting that there's a GT2 RS. Here's the Not another Pagani. If one of the GT2 RS had shown up, it would be mobbed. Mm-hmm. But the fact that four are there, people just kind of keep walking, which is crazy, but we do that. We all do that. So it's the frequency of seeing something. I'll also say it to, to you this way. If you have a place in your house, it's like a flat surface in your house, and this week it has nothing, but next week you put a photo on it. A photo in a frame is now on that surface. For the next couple of weeks, you're going to constantly notice that that's there. Hmm. But yeah. in a couple yeah. months, you're not even going to be aware there's a photo sitting there. Because we just get adapted to it. So you're becoming adapted to seeing these cars more often. It's one of the reasons why Paul and I, the idiots that we are, will go to Germany and be like, oh my gosh, a Skoda. Yes. Because, and everybody else is like, it, Tom, who lives there, is like, it's a Skoda, guys. We're like, yes, but we don't get that Skoda. And we can see it from across the parking lot. It's like, we, oh, we don't get that. Like, he's Look like, at that new really? Opal. Because it's different. Yes. So you're recognizing that. Yes. Back to your Mustang experience that you had. I, we didn't see it. We don't know what the description was, but something about that one in that moment, in that lighting, it stood out to you. Mm-hmm. And that is perfectly understandable and normal. I'll give you a great example. All the Broncos I see around here have got the big, huge Sasquatch package tires. Right. Yep. When I see one on the base wheels, the base hubs, it always turns my head because you never see that. It's good. Yeah. Bronco, Bronco, Bronco. Oh, look at that one. Oh, it's because it's got the base wheels. The wimpy Bronco. Exactly. <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Because this stuff stands out. So right. the aesthetics that you're talking about, the paint, that kind of stuff, all of that's a factor. But then I will also say this to you, and this may be controversial, but I stand by it. And that is, I think the worst place for cars to look great is cars and coffee. 
Agreed. Because it's the mob of people, and invariably, I mean, you want to have a gorgeous day at Cars and Coffee, but let's be honest. You're parked in a parking lot with a bunch of people walking through, and the sun is headed toward straight overhead as Cars and Coffee goes on. Mm -hmm. None of that is the best situation. And Paul and I are now fully spoiled, and I I think I was spoiled before you or Chance or anybody, where I stopped taking pictures at Cars and Coffee. Because I want to yeah. have the car isolated at the end of a great mountain road with an overlook and, 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 and cool clouds and look at the mountains in the distance and maybe there's a deer walking through the shot and it's late daylight. Now we're gonna now it's worth taking photos. Yeah. Because we're spoiled to be able to do that kind of stuff. So we worry about, you know, I don't want to take the I've literally said, I don't want to take a photo right now. Which is so spoiled. He's like the Ansel Adams of car photography. <laughs> I'll just wait here in the cold for about 36 hours for the perfect shot. It's so spoiled. So, so I wish I did that good work. But anyway, but, but so that's the thing is that cars and coffee is kind of a terrible place to see cars. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing that you had happen with you with this Mustang. You saw it in the wild. Mm-hmm. You saw it when you didn't expect it. And it looked cool. I bet you if you'd seen that Mustang at cars and coffee, you would have not even noticed there was a Mustang there. Same car. True. Something True. about that moment stood out. Yes. And this is why when you see a really cool exotic go by you on a mountain road and it's been, there's been no cars or it's been trucks or whatever, and that car goes by you, like, whoa. So it, there, there are those, those special moments. And yes, how clean is it? What color is it? All of these things matter. I will put it to you this way. One of the reasons we did the wheels on our 86, the gold wheels on our 86, is we wanted it to not look like every other 86. Yeah. And you know we've put our, our stock wheels back on it for a couple of these shoots because it was important for the comparison, like our 86 versus BRZ versus FRS. We wanted to put the stock wheels back on. But at the same time, the car looks a little more mundane. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are factors. Of course, you can go too far and you can have you know the Liberty Walk bolted on fenders and the crazy stuff yeah, that is now, for, or, or what's the mansory? You, all, you, all you're worried about <laughs> is now it's look at me over aren't I beautiful? It's just notice me. Right, right. It's not, we, it's, Look at it, what we can do with mold. Exactly. It's like, whoa, that's crazy. And then you kind of go, is that attractive though? I didn't know carbon fiber could take on that shape. Yeah, anyway. So, uh. so there's a lot of factors in here, but I also want to say this to you. Cars are one of those things, and I know we anthropomorphize them often, but cars are one of those things like people in that, why do you love it? Mm-hmm. You just, for whatever reason, that car speaks to you. Yeah. In the same way that person just attracts you. We've all had that experience where somebody we love and we're very close to starts dating somebody new and we're like, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I mm-hmm. do not understand why you find them. And, and, and your friend is like, oh, but have you noticed how you're like, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. It's a bunch of celebrity gossip magazines dedicated solely to this. Fa- exactly true. <laughs> you know what? It's actually none of our business what you celebrities do. True. Really it, not. Yeah, yeah. But, the but, fact that you're oversharing is published <laughs> in a magazine. Great. Thanks for that. All of these are factors. And there is that what, what makes you fall in love with a car. But that's the other thing. You can talk to all of those guys, those four guys, magical guys with those GT2 RSs, mm-hmm. and they would say theirs is the best. Sure, sure. They all drive the same. They all cost <laughs> about the same. And there's slight variations in paint color, but pretty much you could sit in any one of them and be like, this is the same. But they will tell you until <laughs> yeah. the day they die, and they should, why theirs is the best. But the fact that they have it too, that really... That gets you a long way, Connects. doesn't it? I, Landon, what I hope for you is that you buy a car. You haven't said this yet. I hope you buy a car that you really love. I'm just hearing, Landon, you're becoming Leonardo da Vinci because he was a, a painter. He was an artist. He was an engineer. <laughs> he was a designer. He was 
Renaissance man. That's why we call him Renaissance man. He's yeah. so into all these things. You're discovering this. You discovered composition. You saw it real time. The color <laughs> changed. Good. The light hit it in a certain way. And I love those proportions. And <gasps> money shot. Why do I like Mustangs? <laughs> it's the hottest part of the summer. And if you think about it, your dashboard is on the front line of the battle against sun and sun damage. And it really deteriorates over time due to all the UV. A custom Covercraft dash mat protects your dash and keeps it looking new, as well as complementing your interior. With a wide variety of fabric styles and colors, you can even customize your dash mat with embroidery or logos like the Everyday Driver logo, or make it completely unique to you and your car. When you're shopping at Covercraft.com, remember to use the code EVERYDAY22 to get a 10% discount, and it ships for free. To get to Covercraft, you can follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality covers and dash mats that keep your car protected and looking its best. Jordan S. in Los Angeles writes to us. He says, thanks for our craft and quality of our execution. Jordan, really appreciate listening. Yeah, for sure. He calls us the savage geese of auto podcast, to be sure. Okay. We're going to see Jack and Mark this week, as a matter of fact. Yes, we are. They're actually coming into town. There is a big uh, press launch going on. We will talk about it after it's happened, but there's a big press launch going on, and they're they're actually going to be in town. We're excited about it. Apparently, we have helped pass hours of sleepless baby nights, laundry, weeding, and other testing activities with far more enjoyment than should be possible. I'm glad to join you while you're weeding... A patch of ground. Well, Jordan writes to us with a conundrum because he contracted the car itch at 12 years old while performing research for his dad while he was shopping for a mid-sized sports sedan in the early 2000s. His dad ended up with an 03 530i, so yes, E39, that he put 220,000 miles on. They both enjoyed every second of it. He said he read endless car magazine articles, consumer reports guides, magazine comparison tests. He wasn't even old enough to drive yet. And he says, he not only came down with the itch, but he became a BMW enthusiast in the process. Mm. Now he is a surgical resident, and his limited income, medical school debt, and overall financial prudence have prevented (laughs) Jordan from taking the plunge on an exciting vehicle thus far. He's on his third Mazda 3 lease, all dark gray with black interior, as this car has afforded him a bit of good dynamics, quality interior, reliability, Mm -hmm. low cost. That's why we love him. Yeah, excellent choice. He says after the years of medical school and residency in the Northeast, he's currently still on that 2021 Mazda 3 lease, loves the interior, cabin noise, Apple CarPlay. He couldn't afford the turbo, so he's beginning to feel a bit wanting on the throttle. (laughs) This summer, he graduated residency, shed his trainee skin, and started life as a grown-up surgeon at a private practice in Los Angeles. His first real job at 31 years old after graduating from the 25th grade. <laughs> I had to stop and add that up. I was like, the 25th grade, that is brutal. What grade but are I'm you impressed. in? Let's see here. 22. <laughs> 22nd grade. What? I don't know. If, okay, if 12th grade is senior, what do you call somebody the 25th grade? I don't even know. what. The, it's got to be a term. Anyway. <laughs> PhD? Something, well, yeah. He's, he's a surgeon, surgeon apparently. That's yeah. what you call him. Yeah. Doctor? Yeah, doctor. Now, he'd like to celebrate this milestone by finally getting a car that excites him, perhaps a great six-cylinder sports sedan before they go the way of the dinosaurs. He says nothing crazy. He's got plenty of medical school debt and a house to save up for. So $60,000 will be the budget. He says that's the budget. Paul, that is the budget. Therein, that lies the budget. <laughs> if you haven't heard yet, sixty grand is the capper, yes. He needs four doors. He has a one-year-old daughter and will be making plenty of daycare pickups. He needs plenty of power, since that's been the one thing missing in his non-turbo Mazda 3. He needs a great interior. As he, he's always gravitated towards cars' interiors rather than their exterior design. Hmm. And he needs Apple CarPlay and a good sound system. 
So his question for us, is there any viable option besides a BMW M340i? You've got BMW glasses on. I yeah, he tell. does. Big time. That's okay. BMWs drive very well. He says this car checks every box he can think of except for one. And here it is. <laughs> his wife drives a 2021 X3 xDrive 30i. Mm-hmm which they got to transport the newborn baby in. Because when she was shopping for a car, he said to her, let me show you a BMW. And now it's come home to roost. Because she has a BMW. He's like, oh, am I going to buy another one? Uh-oh. And he's a BMW enthusiast. I mean, yeah, for talk sure. about since the beginning. It is in yeah, his blood. His dad sure. had the car. Get it. They both love the solidity, dynamics, space, quality, car play. But if he gets an M340i, it feels too similar to the X3. But he says every competitor he can think of has a critical flaw. Mm. He lists those competitors. He does. And their yes. critical flaws. Yes. Why is he paying this much for a front-wheel drive biased car when he looks at Audi S4s? Mm. He won't need Quattro in Southern California. The C43 AMG doesn't like the looks. Too much interior screen. The interior doesn't feel as solid. Plus, it's a four-cylinder now. Although, I really am fascinated by how people judge cars based on the cylinder count. Even if it has more power than the last generation. True. I find yeah. that fascinating. True. The Genesis G73.5, he says the backseat is too small, although he knows we both want to recommend this car. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Lexus IS500, he cannot stand the Predator Maw. Mm. It's it's lingering, isn't it? It keeps getting refined, but it is, they are hanging on to that. Just <laughs> wipe the drool off the Maw, and they keep over the, over the years. The new NX, the new Lexus Egg, has broken away. That's true. And now it just looks like a hatchback. I mean, let's be honest. It doesn't look like, it's just, they're all just lifted hatchbacks. Anyway, the Cadillac CT4V, he's got a pre- preconceived notion that the interior could be a disappointment compared to the Germans and that the dynamics wouldn't keep up with the Beamer. The dynamics, I bet you would do as well or better. The CT4V, the, the v, interior, yeah. I think you'd be like, I don't like this very much. If, if like, interior is more, more important yeah. to you yeah. than the exterior, I think the interior would probably let you down. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if back-to-back the CT4V would be better than the BMW dynamically. Jordan says, is there something he's missing in these competitors? I absolutely think so. I think so, too. Are Jordan's critical flaws flawed themselves? Is there flaws in the flaws? <laughs> okay. Or is it as he fears that the M340 really is the best car for him, enough so that we must suffer my dual manufacturer driveway nightmare? <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us are big fans, and Jordan, we'd love to get you away from that. I like that you're thinking this way. I also think it's funny that you, the BMW person, got your wife into a BMW, and now you've created a problem for yourself. <laughs> but I'm also, you know what? Congratulations, and very cool that you're a surgeon, and you have a one-year-old, and, and you're, you're getting, and this sounds weird, it's like you're getting into your... Uh, planned adult life now like it's all happening at once you're you know? adulting i'm, I'm, Graduated I'm married I have, a, I have a i have a one-year-old i have my first major job i'm done with schooling i need a car there's a yeah. lot going on right now i can also see there's something lingering that isn't specifically stated and mm. that is how your dad got you into bmws by virtue of the car that he bought mm-hmm. and i think you're thinking the same thing eventually even though Mm. You know, it's a little early. His daughter's one, but he's still going, but, maybe a BMW. But exactly. That's <laughs> why, hence the BMW is like, need to start her early and just introduce her to the BMW smell early. 20 years from now, when you and I are creaky and our voices sound kind of like this, he, his daughter's going to write in and be like, well, my dad always drove me around when he was a surgeon in the back of his BMW. Said you were idiots and he yes. bought the 340i Yes, anyway. he did. Probably. Yes. I have the car. Jordan, I have the car. Yes, the answer is you've missed this car. Okay. 
because the interior, I think, is better. Okay. I'm Welcome excited. to Volvo, my friend. Oh, that's good. Volvo cars. Go look at the S60. That's a good one. Delightful jewel interiors. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous, crafted, beautiful interiors. It's not a BMW, and it lets you know it's not a BMW. Mm-hmm. But it has all those same feelings of cachet, of enjoyment, and smells, and tactility, mm-hmm. all the things you're looking for. Absolutely. And I do think you could make an argument they're better on the inside than the outside. Yeah. Yeah. If, all that's, those if that's what he's shopping, yeah. Excellent. Whether you want to go a mild hybrid, whether you want to go all gasoline, mm-hmm. whether you want to go full electric, they have choices. Go look at that S60. It's fantastic. They start at just over $41,000. Mm. So for a $60,000 price cap, you can easily get yourself into an S60. That's good. They're brilliant. As a matter of fact, I think it was 64000 for that uh, 400 hybrid that we had. We had the everything. Smoked everyone. Shocking amount of power in that hybrid uh, yeah. everything motor. Yeah, for sure. The seats are excellent. Yeah. They have massage and heating and cooling functionality in a, a thickness that is half of every other manufacturer. Yes, absolutely. Seat thickness. It's brilliant. The controls are jewelry. The steering mm-hmm. is really excellent. It's an engaging car to drive. It's such the invisible car. Mm-hmm. And I mean invisible to everybody looking to buy one. No, I see. I see Once you have yeah. one, you think, oh my gosh, where's this mm-hmm. car been? Mm-hmm. What a gorgeous, beautiful car. Look at this interior. It's, it's like the BMW. You want to be on the inside. You want to be in in the car driving <laughs> away it. from the beaver teeth. No, I'm Same. sorry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You want to be in the Volvo. You want to be driving it. The interface is completely different, mm. but once you get used to using it, I think you'll really like it. Yeah. It's very intuitive mm. immediately. It's just, you have to think differently, but it does work very, very well. I'm all about the Volvo S60. I that's, go SUV, mm. go S90, go to Volvo. I, I think that's, that's hard to beat for his criteria. I think you've done, you've, Nailed it as far as interior over everything else, and and they still drive well. They still drive well. I mean, Jordan, you haven't said. I, I'm wondering if you are a guy who is also curious about getting into driving for fun because you've, you you haven't had fun yet. You know? Sure, <laughs> like, like, he life, has life. not been having any fun. Exactly, twenty fifth grade. Anyway, so, <laughs> so I, I'm good. wondering if you're you're headed toward that as well, and I'm wondering this for this to be fun. But I I think that Paul has nailed it as far as just interior experience. I think that's nearly impossible to beat. But I have three used choices for you where I was trying to find the fun dad four-door that was underneath your budget cap. Love it. That is four doors, four seats, would surprise you to drive. Not everybody would have one and would do everything you're trying to do. The one that I think, I think it's too small, but I really like it. If you could find a used one, you could find it in your budget. It was that. We had one recently, a yellow one, a CLA AMG Mercedes. Smoking. That so is a hidden rock star of a performance vehicle with a great interior. I I think, depending upon the scale of car seats we're dealing with, it may be too small. But I really do wonder about that car. So I have two others okay. that you could absolutely get for your budget. The first one, nobody's going to be surprised, but, but, it's, but you completely overlooked it. You said you would like a V6 performance sedan, dad car, four-door, before they go away. <clears throat> My friend, Alpha Julia Quadrifolio. Buy a used one of that. It's you true. will love that. Now, 
It's not an amazing interior. It's a, it's a solid interior. The seats are great. It's got a surprising amount of back seat space. The interior is nice and modern. You'd have CarPlay and those kind of things. It isn't a luxurious interior. It's a nice interior without being luxurious, if that makes sense. I know I'm kind of splitting hairs, but sure. every time I sit in one of the Alphas, I'm like, yeah, it's nice in here. But I never sit down like you do in the Volvo and go, whoa. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to do that for you. Yeah. So if that is that important, then the Alpha doesn't work. But you would love to drive it. It has a fantastic engine. It has a great sound to it. It's four doors, real trunk, decent back seat, Alpha Julia Quadrifolio, my friend. It's just different. It's exactly flavor. I think you would love that car, but if that's not usable enough or not nice enough, you need to look at a used Panamera. Porsche. Great back seat space, a decent sized hatch, a luxury interior, and genuine dynamic performance. You could take your in Los Angeles now, you could take the Alpha Julia Quadrifolio or a used Panamera down any of the great Los Angeles surrounding canyon roads and have a ball. Just like you, True. You, you, True. you don't have to be to surgery for a couple hours yet. You just dropped your daughter off at daycare. <laughs> that road is 20 minutes that way. Go, my friend. Yeah. If you're, Go, Jordan. Have some time. You're right. North, south, you're going up to the valley or something like that. Totally. Head west, take a canyon road from the beach straight north, pick one of them. Yes, you can have so much fun in either of those cars. So those are my recommendations for you. If it's all interior experience, I think Paul nailed it, but I'm trying to get you some fun. It is car wash season. Always wash your car in a cool, shady spot and always use the brilliant finish foaming sprayer or the Boss Foam Cannon from Griot's Garage. You can create a high foam blizzard party right in your driveway with little to no work and avoid the wash-induced scratches. It's the safest way to wash your car. Try the Griot's Garage Foaming System Complete Kit today and see what the foam is all about. And don't forget, Griot's also has full ceramic family of products, including Speed Shine, Wash and Coat, and a 3-in-1 Wax. Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all the liquid products are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order just for our audience. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. I love the styling questions. Moving to Facebook, Jared Beyer has a thought that he'd like my thoughts on. Okay. Would you like more art history? <laughs> I can dive back in. Chapter two. It's actually fun to dive back into that stuff. But Jared says, of traditional car companies, stylistically and branding-wise, Cadillac seems most prepared to move into EVs, mm. and Jeep is the least prepared. This is based on EVs making front grills unnecessary and perhaps for non-enthusiasts, uncool. <laughs> okay. Maybe. Well, I mean, Jared, if you think about it, the original 911s didn't have a grill, so they're the most suited. Just saying Porsche. Excellent point. Yeah. But anyway, corporate branding should be done with lights. Cadillac has leaned into the vertical lines for branding and Jeep will have to move past the seven slot grills. Well, you mentioned lights, but manufacturers are lighting up the grill area. And I disagree because those seven slots, they don't have to be perforations. They don't have to be holes Mm -hmm. to cool off nothing. (laughs) Look at the Mach-E. The radiator to nowhere. Here it is. It's like the stairway to nowhere. You better believe it. Exactly. Escalator to nowhere. Sorry. Anyway, so these seven vertical slots could be, they could morph into indentations, divots just the appearance mm-hmm. of and then at night as part of the running lights they all light up or 
something. Jeep's already planning this. You know they are. I'm sure they you are. You know they are. The lit, lit up seven slots. Somebody is writing the marketing brief about why it's the coolest thing ever. They have right. seven lighted slots that had... Anyway, uh, of course. <laughs> Writing the marketing brief. I am, unfortunately. Love it. Well, look at the Mustang Mach-E. Doesn't need a front grille, large front grille opening when that really is associated with Mustangs. A lot of power, a lot of cooling, a lot of heat going on, giant front opening. But look at that shape. Mm. It's, to begin with, was just on the GTs, it's a different color. Mm -hmm. So it's the gloss plastic, but that kind of shape reminds you, oh, that's, it's got that kind of feel and look to it, even though really it's just surface development. Yeah, yeah. The original Tesla Model S, just surface development on yeah. that elliptical front black shape. Yep. That's all it is, and that's really what catches our eye and defines the front of the car. So I think pretty much every car manufacturer is well-suited to continuing things mm. forward. By the way, look at what Genesis did introducing their latest car at Pebble Beach, their large luxury car. That signature lighting strip went all the way across the front and just dipped into the V. It mm. was actually beautiful mm. and they, you know, they kept it going they i think it, it was brilliant i think it just offers up more variation those seven vertical slots don't have to be the same scale i mean sure mw's proved that with the teeth <laughs> <laughs> we got the slots have gotten so big it's, it's just one big scale slot slider to like 250 percent yeah like, whoa i like that but what if that was three times as big <laughs> as it is right now because you were already seeing that on the ix mm-hmm you're right. You're seeing that kind of shape just as a trim piece, an outline, or it's a, you know two different mm-hmm. uh, patterns or surfaces. Same kind of thing. The, the image is there. That impression is there, but they're no longer needed as big openings for cooling. That's good. That's very good. I, I'm realizing I'm going to have to handle a bunch of questions on the same topic here because you posted, as did Haggerty recently, that my Lotus – by the way, my Lotus has been on Haggerty Driveshare for a while, but apparently it's now getting fanfare for being on Haggerty Driveshare. So we talked about it and Haggerty did. It's really very cool. So we're having a lot of conversations about it being rented. So I want to cover a couple of questions in kind of rapid fire about that. Chris Lindy, he actually owns a Lotus. He actually owns a few. He's asking how nerve-wracking it is to watch a stranger drive off in the Lotus. Mark is asking how the experience on driveshare renting has actually been, which I've talked about a little bit before. And then (laughs) on IG, I'm Craig, I like cars, is wondering if he came out in October and rented it. Is that too late? Let me run through these real quick. Mark, (laughs) overall, the experience on driveshare has been great. One of my favorite things about it is the fact that just like Turo, the app handles everything. All the photos, all the, the registration, the sign-up, the, the cost, the insurance, it's all handled right there on the app, and it's actually very seamless and easy to use, and I have really appreciated that because I didn't want to have to like, so what do I need to know? I just wanted to rent the mm-hmm, car, mm-hmm. so that's been great. The other thing I like about it is that I do have final say, and and you as an owner can kind of, you can set up restrictions. This is where it's it's very unique in DriveShare. You can set up restrictions about what am I willing to do and what do you have to, you know, and I take a test drive with everybody. I have a little road I do with people and I put them in the driver's seat and it helps me remember things I need to tell them. And it also makes, helps me watch them drive the car mm-hmm. because if you cannot drive stick and you're thinking of trying it, don't come rent my Lotus. Or just driving a mid-engine car is yes. different for many people. Yes. So, so I do that and that has helped me. It is Typically not that nerve-wracking, though my son is horrified every time I tell him that the Lotus is going out for the day. He's he's more spooked than everybody. And what's actually so funny, funny is I tell people that rent the car that my son is spooked, and they're like, okay, I'll be careful, which is really very funny. But at the last Cars and Coffee I was at, I had a few people getting in the Lotus because we were having a conversation. They were looking at me, the tree that I am, and going, how do you fit? And I was like, let's go get in the Lotus. And I was putting people in the Lotus. And one guy came over that got in and tried to break stuff. 
And that just made me angry. I mm-hmm. got to be honest. He he wasn't listening about how to get in the car. He just kind of bulldozed his way in while getting out. You can't pull on the top of the A pillar where the windshield is. You'll break the windshield. Mm-hmm. And he nearly did. Jeez. And that that so that freaked me out. So it, it luckily everybody that's ever rented from me on driveshare has been very respectful. And the, you know I tell them how to use the car and they use it and they've loved it. So that's great. So I'm Craig. I like cars. If you came out in October, yes. The roads can still be great and the car can still be wonderful. It entirely depends on the dice roll of what does the weather do while you're here. Yeah. It can be awesome or it can have snowed this morning and it'll be awesome tomorrow. So that's the the difficulty about late October. TK Hockey 510 asks uh, for a bucket list track we'd like to drive Mm. but haven't yet. Also, if you could take any car on this track, what would we pick? Well, the car is going to be the GT4 RS. It's just. <laughs> we have a GT car film coming this Thursday to the main channel. This is us driving the 991.2 GT3 RS, the 992 GT3, and the GT4 RS on Spa and on the road. Such a special it's two a days. really, really cool Ugh. Comparo that we did for those cars. It comes out this Thursday on the main channel. Get ready because it's really cool. TK. We've been told every time we've gone to spa that Portimao is pretty great. As a matter yes. of fact, everybody who loves spa likes Portimao a little bit better. I, yeah, it's crazy to hear that. Which I feel like we need to go sample and determine this information <laughs> for ourselves. Things we should do. Yes, I agree. Apparently, it's great. I would like to do various tracks in Italy. I would like to do more international driving, I, I feel like. Yeah, Although yeah. there's some tracks. We haven't even been on Road Atlanta yet. Road Atlanta and Road America. Road America, both yes. Like to do. I want to do Coda. We're trying to figure that out. Coda I, would be interesting. Yeah. I just, I'm just i so curious about streetcars and cooking their brakes at the end of the front main street, up the hill. Well, and, but it's got the hill to help. Right. That's not where you're letting <laughs> off to cool down, though. <laughs> I'll just roll up the hill. It'll no. be fine. Yeah. But yes, Cayman GT4 RS on any track. Throw me a track. I have the car. <laughs> I mean, I don't good. have it. I want. Yeah, one, I understand. But... You know which one you'd take. I get it. Yes. Yep. Adrian is asking, he said, we did our 90s Japanese cars. We talked about affordable Japanese cars, but he said, wait a minute. What about 90s cars that aren't Japanese cars? He's asking our quick thoughts on what do we think is as good as those cars, or maybe better of the, than those cars, of the following. The ZR1 VET of the 90s, the 996-911, the 968, which is what the 944 became, mm-hmm. or the BMW Z3M. Are any of those competitive in this discussion? You know what? Honestly, the ZR1 is underappreciated. The, ni- the 90s okay. era okay. Corvette yeah. ZR1 yeah. is truly, and I say that because Paul and I were in the camp of underappreciating it. And we had one in our American original so film, good. our Corvette film, and were pleasantly stunned by that car. It is a fantastic muscle car. It obviously has a C4 Corvette interior, which is questionable, but it is a fantastic muscle car with a surprisingly European driving feel. It somehow is both, and it doesn't feel as old as it is to drive. I think that is a real standout of that era that, you know, not everybody wants one, of course, but I think of the ones you've listed, the ZR1 is is overlooked and superb. Jeremy Hartson's got a question here about the return of the Z, and he says, many are critical of its track prowess comparing its rivals. The question is, who cares? Is the modern buyer that concerned about how track performance factors in to a car? Mm. And for those who do, is it because they're buying the Zs and the GR Supras and the Mach 1s for the track, or is it simply for bragging rights? Mm-hmm. If it is for that, 
then Jeremy's concerned that less significant portions of reviews are harming sales, thus harming the future of manufacturing. Mm. Well, a question back to you, Jeremy, and that is why are Dodge Challengers still such high sales <laughs> right up until they're killed off? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the current generation, they can't make them fast enough. People yeah. are buying them like crazy. Corvettes, uh, pardon me, Camaros and Mustangs are dropping in sales numbers. The Challenger, which is old, just keeps selling. Yeah, it's yeah. at least 11 or 12 years old as that body style. There's a few you know, fixes and tweaks, but it's yeah. the same stamping, same sheet metal, same yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. They're still selling them like crazy. Yeah. The Durango Hellcat went back into production after everybody <laughs> got through mentioning the very salient talking point about these are the only ones made. They're only making a couple thousand of them. <laughs> Guess what? They're back. They're all sold and they're so popular. Dodge turned them back on. They turned back on the assembly line. I think they found a bunch of extra Hellcat engines in the back and went, <laughs> darn it. <laughs> all right, Durango it is. You're right, though, Jeremy. Many people who buy those cars, they won't ever track them. True. But they need to know that by somebody tracking and proving the car, mm -hmm. what it can do, that it says something about them, the buyer. Mm, interesting. They, they have a certain level of performance that they either aspire to or can handle, and that they are the kind of buyer that associates with that. Mm. In that sense, it's kind of for bragging rights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because how many people use all 1,000 horsepower of their electric car? Or sure, sure. Five, six, eight hundred horsepower of their super hot, supercharged something. Totally. Where do you go use that? It really is to proliferate, even though it has to be able to do that to back it up. You can't just say, well, it's got 1,000 horsepower. No, it doesn't. This is like <laughs> 230. <laughs> talking about I know better. Yeah. So it has to be able to do that kind of performance, and then people want to show off usually straight line kind of thing. Here's how quick it is. Yeah. It's a balance. I think it's a bit of both, mm. but the cars have to be vetted because that still sells cars. True. And I think we've talked about this twice on camera and I'm, I'm spoiling a bit, but not too much. The 86 versus Z car film that we did that was part of season 11. We get into this discussion when we're driving the Z on camera, we talk about it. And then also we talk about it in the Porsche GT film because there's a stat. And I think it's only a North America stat, but still it's a crazy stat. And that is that 40%. No, sorry. Let me back up. The Porsche GT cars are not grand tourers, by the way. No, no, no. That means not so much. Those, you would think everybody else is making a GT car. There's a grand tour. No, no, no. Porsche is making a GT car. That means the raciest version, the most track prepped version of our cars are the GT cars for, for various classes GT3, of racing. Yes. GT4, yeah. etc. Okay. Like 40% of the total number of Porsches being sold are GT cars. Now, why on earth is nearly half the market buying the track-prepped version when most of them are only ever going to be driven on the street? And it's back to what you're saying. It's the bragging rights element. While I chatter my teeth and my my coffee gets spilled because the suspension is set up not for this pothole. <laughs> yeah. You know. I hate to say it, but if you can extract all 228 horsepower out of the GR86, you're going really fast. You're having you're a right. great time. Yes. But of course, there's you always want more because... That doesn't sound like very much. That's not very impressive. To yeah. most people, that sounds like, try hard, try yeah. harder. Good for you. You know, eh, pat, pat. Better luck next time. <laughs> Whereas 800 horsepower in my thing is like, whoa, sweet. <laughs> when have you ever used 600 of that? 
You're right. And then I, this is a place where I realize I'm not wired like many car owners. And granted, I also have to caveat, I don't have the money of the owner I'm about to discuss. But I remember there was one of the first guys here in the U.S. that had a Koenigsegg Agera. I think it may have even been a, a Gear R. Paid a bunch of people to make a film about a race driver taking that car on the closed, straight shot, fast road in Nevada and hitting the top speed here in the U.S. And mm-hmm. Koenigsegg kind of got behind the film, and I, I don't remember what happened with, to it, but I remember it, it happened being made out here. And Koenigsegg kind of in, indirectly got behind the film, but this was an owner paying to have his personal car driven to the top speed, and I kept thinking, yeah, but when, when you're done, all you get to do is go, the car can really do it. I didn't do it. I can't do it. I don't, I don't drive it very fast, but I paid somebody to drive it really fast for me. That's weird to me. But I understand yeah. there's a second layer, which is the bragging rights of I own the car, and it really will do that. I didn't, but it really will. Let's go to sports. The weirdest thing to me is hearing about a professional NFL coach who played college ball, and that was it. They never played pro ball, and you're coaching the pros? Mm-hmm. How are you and doing qualified? Well. Yeah, you haven't even played pro ball. What, what what makes you special? They are because they've got the intuition. Maybe that's not where mm. their their thoughts lie. Christian Horner. Yes, I was going to say there's a lot of people in racing that are this. They run the teams and they were never all he that good. He was never way up there in the standings as a driver. But man, does he have the intuition to run a team. Interesting point. Yeah, that's hmm. where his skill set lies. Okay, I mean, we all imagine ourselves as the best driver ever. And I've driven around thinking not one of us out here will ever admit to being a bad driver. And I just watched you do something stupid. You did something stupid. That could cause a problem up there. And please hang up your phone. Yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? You're so right. But none of us are going to say, oh, I'm, I'm not that good of a driver. I'm out here anyway, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> terrified yeah <laughs> i don't want to be next to you so it's uh a lot of it is bragging rights i i hate to say it but it's certainly conversational but yeah. it does proliferate cars and because i think that sells every bit as much as the people actually driving the car and using it for what it's for mm. that'll just continue it's so satisfying to ring a car out and completely use it for everything it's unbelievably satisfying Thinking about the new GT3 RS that just got announced. And of course, I'm also going to say this in the piece, but our GT film coming this Thursday, we did not drive the GT3 RS because it hadn't even been revealed to the public yet. Now it's barely been revealed to the public and none of the journalists have driven it yet. So there was no chance of it being in the film, but we were thrilled to drive the ones we drove. But one of the things I have noted about that one is the in-car on steering wheel ability to change your differential or your suspension settings. That is something that 95% of owners of that car will never turn that button. I'm hoping it's more because that is a very specialized car. That's not a cruise around and look at me car. The owners affording and buying that car hopefully are thrashing the broccoli out of that thing. On I track. doubt it. I, I doubt it. I, I, this is, I mean, this is my extra pothole street next to my favorite Starbucks. So I'm going to turn this, I'm going to turn the suspension as soft as possible and then crank it back. I don't think so. I'm taking a more optimistic approach guys. Thank you for all your questions. We really appreciate it. Looking forward to next time. As always, please send your topic Tuesdays, car conclusions, and most of all your car debates, everyday driver TV at gmail.com. Cheers.